Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring our message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. of 107,000 people, which is quite a bit smaller than Mesa County, and we have our own professional football team in Green Bay, and it's a big deal there. In fact, unlike every other team in the NFL, it is not owned by a corporation or a rich guy. It is actually owned by the fans in Green Bay, and so no big deal, but I grew up as an NFL team owner, um, so it's kind of... It's kind of a grassroots thing, but as a kid, what we would do in the winter to earn money is my dad would snow plow the front lawn. And then my brothers and I would hold up signs, and as fans were going to the games, we would um, park them on our frozen lawn, and they would pay us five bucks, and we would earn our money that way as kids. And we are committed, my family. We are third-generation season ticket holders, and we are at every event. If there was a snow day from school, my brothers and I would grab our shovels, and we would go down to Lambeau Field and dig out the bleachers um, just because it was our team. We referred to the team as we. And I didn't even know that was weird until college when people were like, you don't own the team. And I was like, ah, but I do. And so this is how we grew up. Now, the first game that I got to go to, I was seven or eight years old, and the wind chill at kickoff was negative 10. And we lived a block and a half from the stadium, so my mom like bundled me appropriately, and I waddled all the way to the stadium with like six layers of everything and up 51 rows to where our season tickets were at the time. And I remember standing there, and I was so ecstatic to just be in the stadium, to be with the team. And um, about halfway through the third quarter, I was cold. And I had the audacity to turn to my father and say, I am cold. Now, he looked at me through his double-layered ski mask, and he could not have been more disappointed in me than if I had said, I am dropping out of first grade and joining the circus. Like, the look of horror on his face. And he said, if you would cheer more, you would warm up. That's how Packers stand, fans stay warm. And so I began to cheer more. There was no conversation about the possibility of going home. When we say we're fans... We're fans. When we say we're with the Packers, we mean it. We're, we're present with them in blizzards, in um, Super Bowl seasons, in shanked field goals, in when we give away one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to the Jets. Wherever is happening with the Packers, we are with them. We are present, and we mean it. And when God says he's our fan, it means the same thing, that he is present with us in the ups and the downs. He's with us when things are good or when things are hard. He's not a fair weather fan. 
He's not a fair weather follower. He's, he won't leave us. He won't leave us when the going gets tough. His presence is always presence. And I believe that God shows up for us. He shows up for us and he walks with us through our entire story, through good times and bad. He walks with us through the stories of our lives when victory is a long way off or when victory doesn't even seem like it's in the picture. God is with us. We find God in the fires with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not just when they come out of the fire not smelling like smoke. We find him in the fire. We find God's presence at the tomb of Lazarus on the second day, on the third day. Not just on the fourth day when Jesus shows up to raise her from the dead. His presence was there all along with the sisters as they're grieving. God, the Bible says, is our ever-present help in times of trouble. Jesus told us in John 16, he said that things aren't going to always be picture perfect. I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And there are many chapters in our life that will have tragedy, and we have to know when we're walking through those tragic chapters that we are not alone. This morning we're continuing our series, Summer of, and today is Summer of His Presence. And God has promised us that He is the kind of friend that will go with us and stick closer to us than a brother. That He will walk with us through every season. He promises in Deuteronomy 31, it says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will not fail you nor abandon you. God doesn't staff out our relationship with him. He doesn't make an appointment with us and then send a low-level intern to handle us. God personally is with us. And that's the promise, that he will personally go with us. He doesn't send in a stunt double when life gets hard for us. He himself is right there walking with us. That's why he announces that his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And no other God makes that type of claim. No other God gets down in the dirt and lives life with his people. Every other God that's put forth by every other religion creates a God that's high and mighty and withdrawn and distant. But the God of the Bible is unique in this statement that he does life with his people. He's not beyond our reach. In fact, he reaches for us. Isaiah 41, it says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So God is holding us with his right hand. Then the next verse says, "But I, For I hold you by your right hand. So he's holding us by his right hand. He's holding on to our right hands. We're holding hands with God. I, the Lord, say to you, do not be afraid. I am here to help you. And I love this last phrase. I am here to help you. This lets us know that God is not far off. He's not distant from us when we're trying to get his attention. We don't have to, we don't have to beg. 
In 1 Kings 18, there's this epic Bible challenge that you may have heard about growing up in Sunday school. But there's Elijah, the prophet of God, on one side. And then there's the prophets of the false god named Baal on the other side. And there's 450 false prophets against the one prophet of God. And all of Israel is gathered to watch this showdown challenge go down. And Elijah proposes these to be the rules. He says, let each God's servants get a bull and build an altar. And then they can sacrifice the bull on the altar and call to their God. And whoever's God sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice in front of our eyes, that will be the true God. And so everyone agrees to the rules, and, and Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, the false prophets, you guys go ahead and go first. And so they do. They call out to their God. They cry out to him to send fire from heaven in front of all the people watching, and nothing happens. And that's where we're going to pick up the story in verse 27. It says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god, perhaps he is daydreaming or relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip and is, or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. So Elijah's making fun of them, verse 28. So they shout louder, following their normal custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushes out. They rave all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still no sound. No reply and no response. And these are the myths of the day. That's why the prophets of Baal didn't even get that Elijah was kind of making fun of them. Because this is what they did. They, this was their custom. They would get all riled up. They would put on a show. They would act the fool and just try to do anything they could, they thought, to get their God's attention. But their God would not notice them, could not notice them because he's not real. Then after that, Elijah, to prove that there is no trickery involved, has servants come with large containers of water and pours the water over the sacrifice. And then prays and instantly fire from heaven falls and consumes the entire sacrifice right before the eyes of the people. And the difference, the distinctive of the God of the Bible is that he doesn't need us to awaken him or pull some stunt to get his attention, he is simply there. He's there listening and he is present. So three truths this morning of the presence of God. The first is this, God does not leave us when it's hard. God doesn't leave us when it's hard. Many people believe the myth that if they're going through something hard, that that, that means that God is backed away from them. He's withdrawn his protection from them because they're going through something hard. Or maybe in the middle of going through that hard thing that it got to be too much for God and so God couldn't take it and so he pulled away. But he's not a fair weather fan. He's in it for the long haul. King David authored many of the Psalms that we have in our Bible today and he debunked this very myth saying in Psalm 23 he said, even when, even when, I walk through the darkest valley. I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. I want to share this morning 
three different stories through the sermon of different people within our church family. And these are stories that I talked to these people, I got their permission to share. And the first one is the story of Cheyenne Wood. And she is a member of our church family. And this last year, she has walked through the, the darkest year of her life. Cheyenne um, lost her mom one year ago this weekend. And at that time, she was a brand new, first-time single mom with a 10-month-old little boy. And her mom was only 52 years old. And Cheyenne expected to have her mother with her as she raised her son and her mom had only been diagnosed with cancer about a year when they lost her. And losing her mom, she said, was shocking and devastating. And Cheyenne had grown up in church but felt so distant from God and was deeply alone in her heart in those moments. Her dad continued to bring her to church, even pressured her to sign up for Rooted. But Cheyenne wanted no part of it. She, she wanted... Um, she didn't know how to find herself or God as she was walking through the season. Eventually, just to get her dad off her back, she said, she signed up for Rooted. And the first week of the group, she went, and she felt so out of place. She looked around at the table of all the people there and thought, these people have their lives together, and here I am, like, such a mess. And she was hurting and lonely, and she felt that she was far away from God. But within, by the end of that first meeting, she, she learned that someone else sitting at the table had also lost their mom just recently, and they were on the same journey of grief. Cheyenne told me, I judged and blamed myself for my life circumstances, and I thought that God must be far away from me since everything in my life was so hard. But my rooted group became Jesus with skin on to me. They showed me that God was right there all along, that he was loving me through them, and he'd been loving me from day one of my life. So they finished their 10 weeks of rooted, they did the curriculum, and then they said, we, we really want to keep hanging out together. So their Bible study continued, and um, they continued meeting in each other's homes, and these people kept reaching out to Cheyenne, texting her, praying for her, supporting her as she was walking through this grief. And she said, we bonded with each other while we were bonding with God. And I needed these like-minded people who loved God and loved me to be able to believe that I was accepted by God. I needed this community of Christians to reflect God's love to me. Not just the Sunday thing, but to be involved in my life. It was through my rooted group that I began to see that God never left me. And so God walked with Cheyenne through this hardest season of her life, never left her, but showed her with his presence and also the presence of brothers and sisters that he drew into her life. Sometimes we think that the reason that we're going through a hard time is because we think that we deserve it. We think in our minds that I must be being punished for my sins. We look at our lives, we see our mistakes and our personal shortcomings, and we think that God must reject me because of those sins. The Bible says in Romans 8 to the believer, he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even all the powers in hell can separate us from God's love. 
no power in the sky above and or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. So I'll be honest, I wrote this section of the sermon and then I rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it up until late last night. And I think that I was just trying to find the perfect words. The, just the, the best words to explain what was on my heart. And I wanted to have like this really perfectly lined out theology so that if you heard it, you would be like, yes, I get it and I believe that. But if I'm really honest, I don't, I didn't get there. What I got in my heart was, I'm, I just want to talk to you for a second as my sister, as your sister in Christ. And I want to say that some of you feel like you've been disqualified from God's love. Yeah, you know that at one point in your life you accepted Christ as your Savior. You know that you're going to go to heaven. But you feel disqualified from being in his close personal presence for some reason or another. Maybe, maybe it was that you got a divorce. Maybe it was that you had a baby out of marriage. Maybe it was that you have some type of addiction to food or to pornography or to drugs or alcohol. Maybe you just think when you look at yourself that there's something that's broken that's just not okay. And because of that, because of something that you like accuse yourself of, you feel like you're disqualified from being close to God. And I believe that he sent me here today to tell you that is not true. You are not disqualified from his presence. You're not disqualified from his love because of some thing that you're holding on to. When pastors preach, and we do a lot, we, we often talk to two different groups of people. There's the believer, and then there's the person who doesn't yet believe in Christ. And when we talk to those who don't yet believe, we say things that are absolutely true, like sin separates us from God, and it does. And the unbeliever has got to come into relationship, turn from that sin, repent, and come to God. So we're talking to that group of people, and we say the sin is separating us from God. But when we talk to a believer to someone who already has a relationship with Christ. God already has factored in our sin when he saved us. He already factored in our sin when he accepted us as a son or a daughter. So our sin is not separating us. It's not causing us to, to be rejected from God's close personal presence. We're invited in as a son. We're invited in as a daughter. He already knew about all our foolishness and mistakes and flaws when he accepted us as his children. He took that into account and he still welcomes us home. So if you've been holding yourself on the outside and disqualifying yourself, please come home. The second truth of God's presence is this. God never leaves us even when we've disqualified ourselves from his presence. Some Christians spend their entire life punishing themselves by distancing themselves from God. They withdraw from God because of guilt or shame or some hidden flaw or some sin that someone told them is so horrible they can never be forgiven. And so they distance themselves from God. But God isn't doing that. God isn't the one withdrawing. We're the ones who are perhaps withdrawing and hiding in shame. 
There's a man in our church family, and he was married for 32 years, and he and his wife had two beautiful daughters, and they raised them right here at Fellowship Church. And they served together, they worshiped together, they attended life groups together. Picture perfect in a million ways. But after 32 years, Tom's wife left him unexpectedly. He knew that God can and does heal marriages, but he also knew that in this case, he had to just let her go. Devastated, heartbroken, confused, Tom was spinning, and he had to finish raising the girls himself, and he had to deal with his own sense of loss. And Tom, this isn't how he pictured growing old, he told me. This is not how he pictured his own retirement. And he told me this, at times, I felt like the end of my marriage could mean the end of God's close personal presence in my life. It's easy to look backwards and see mistakes I made and in any marriage, and then to assign blame and assume guilt. I've wondered if I'd done something to cause this, or if maybe my mistake would cause God to stay distant. I wondered if he could still use me for his kingdom after the divorce, or if somehow I'd be on the outside now looking in. But those fears never came to pass. Instead, I felt God showing up in my life in the middle of my mess and my hurt. He said, I remember standing down front one Sunday morning during praise and worship, and I heard God speak to me loud and clear in my mind, saying, let her go, followed by, I will be with you, and I will take care of you. He said, I felt an immediate peace throughout the rest of the divorce, and I felt that same peace that God is with me. Was the divorce hard? Yes. Was it smooth? Not always. However, I knew that God was with me every step of the way. There's no better thing than watching God guide you through one of the toughest seasons of your life. Over and over again, God proved himself to be faithful, and he will prove himself to be a very real help in times of need. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 46, it says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime. Until your hair is white with age, I made you, I will care for you, I will carry you along and save you. So God is so clear. He's so clear that he's with us, but when we go through circumstances, especially circumstances that we don't understand, there's times where we wonder, what is God even up to? But God tells us in Isaiah 55, he says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We will never understand everything that God is doing on this earth. But the third truth of God's presence is this, that God doesn't leave us when we can't understand. God looks at everything from an eternal perspective. He, he looks out over all time and history simultaneously. He sees the birth and the end of empires in the blink of an eye. He sees the wars and the histories of wars all at the same time, and he sees the details of each of our lives, and he knows our heart, and he knows what we're going through. He sees it all together. And so it's no surprise that I can't untangle what he's up to sometimes. It's no surprise that his ways are higher or his thoughts are bigger than what I myself am able to understand. We've all been watching on the news the stories of the war unfold in Ukraine, 
And for one person in our church family, the story is much closer to home. Many of you have already know or met Vera and her husband, Dale. She was born in Ukraine and raised there and moved to our community about 11 years ago when her and Dale got married. And almost everyone she knows on this planet, her brothers and their families, her sister and their families, her nieces, her nephews, her childhood friends, her cousins, all of these people are or still reside in Ukraine. And so for her, it's very fresh. And so when the war escalated in February of 2022, her brother or her hometown was occupied almost instantly by Russian forces. And if you've seen the recent bombing of the dam in Russia, and the, or the Russia bombed the dam in Ukraine and flooded, that was actually her hometown that was flooded. And so she has experienced the loss of so many friends and so many loved ones. Her brother-in-law was killed in the missile strike on the second day, and her brother was killed while serving in the Ukrainian army protecting their home front. The devastation and the heartbreak is indescribable. When I was talking to Vera on the phone just this week, I couldn't stop the tears. To hear her tell her story and to listen to the pain of what she's walking through, it, it took my breath away. But I asked her, how is God working in your life? How is he working in your heart in the middle of this season? And she said that when the war first started, that she couldn't sleep. She would just lay in bed at night and think about all the people that she loved on the other side of the world and about things happening to, her, to them that she could not control. And she said as time has gone on, she's learned to relinquish control, to give that control to God and to trust him to protect and walk through whatever is going to come her way. She said, I had a choice to make, a choice to continue to worship God and trust him as faithful and good. When, that he was in control when I was not and that he would walk me through this. Vera is in her choir, has been in her choir for years, and she talks about how God ministered to her soul through her fellow choir members and how people came around her and prayed for her and her family and the people of Ukraine and how they would worship together. And that worship has become a theme for her of how she's walked through this extremely difficult season thus far. And it, it's not over for her. But she said in worship, she would be able to recognize that God was both with her and on the throne. That he was on the throne capable and able and, and strong enough to do everything he promised. And he was with her. And when she worshiped, she said she was able to release control to the one who could do something and not keep control centered on herself. All of this reminds me of King David. King David who fought and saw war after war, dark times, and continued to worship no matter what he saw. He worshiped. And Psalm 34 is one of the psalms that David wrote as he worshiped through some difficult moments. Verse 18 got to me. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Now, I can't pretend to understand world tragedy or even personal tragedy. I can't begin to, to unpack everything that you've experienced, and I don't know why, but I do know this. I know that God is with you, that he's with you. And as you walk through whatever dark season that you're walking through now or that you will walk through in the future, that you will never be alone. And we each have the choice, the choice that Vera made, right? We have the choice to say, 
the story that we're going to tell when this is done is what? What's the story that we're going to say as we walk through this dark time? I believe that it can be for each of us a story of never being alone. Always having God's presence with us. So I've invited the worship team to join us. And they're going to sing this song. And it's unbelievable. I really want you to tune in um, your heart to the lyrics of this song and listen to it. It's, a, it's called The Story I'll Tell. And as you're listening to it, I want you to engage your heart and, and think about the, the hard times in your life and how God has been present through the story of your life.
Whether you're walking through a part of your story that's a literal war, like Vera, or you just are fighting a battle that no one else can see, we serve a God who will not fail us. He will be with us. He will walk with us. He will hold our right hands as we go through it. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We acknowledge that we are not alone. Even when we felt alone or we felt distant or we hid from you, because we felt unworthy, we know that you never left us, that you're right here with us in the chapter of every story that you're writing. And we thank you for your presence. And God, we lift up those among us who right now are in the middle of a battle of some kind. And we ask that your supernatural presence would fill them and empower them and strengthen them. And that they would sense you loving them and holding them through every battle in their life. God, we give ourselves to you, we believe you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for being here this morning. We love you, church family. We'll see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you've not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. And I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text the word heaven to 94,000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions that you might have. And also, if you're in need of prayer, we'd love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94,000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. 
If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries here, text the word fellowship to 94000 to connect with our staff today. And as always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. And thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.